Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said. I'm host of New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Richard Van Leeuwen, uh, author of The Thousand and One Nights and in 20th Century Fiction, published by Brill in uh, 2018. In 2020, Richard Van Leeuwen uh, won Arab Literary Prize, the Sheikh Said Book Award for this book. Uh, Richard Van uh, Leeuwen is Senior Lecturer in Islamic Studies at the University of Amsterdam. He has published widely on the history of the Middle East, Arabic literature and Islam, and is also a translator of Arabic literature. Richard Van Leeuwen also translated The Thousand and One Nights into Dutch. His publications include Notables and Clergy in Mount Lebanon, The Arabian Nights Encyclopedia, The Thousand and One Nights, Space, Travel and Transformation, and narratives of kinship in Eurasian empires. Uh, hello, Richard. Hello. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, well, first of all, congratulations on the publications of your impressive uh, volume. Uh, I should say that it's hard to overestimate how the Thousand and One Nights shaped the development of multiple genres and individual writing styles. Also, it receives new reinterpretations today in many literatures. How would you explain this phenomenon? Um, well, of course, there are many different uh, aspects to an explanation, uh, especially because the influence has been so vast, not only in the 20th century, but also before. Um, uh, we have to go back, I think, to the 18th century when the first uh, translation of the Thousand Temple Nights appeared, uh, Mille et Nuit translation by uh, Antoine Galland, which appeared in the beginning of the 18th century, between 1704 and 1717. And the work was immediately uh, very popular, even when the first volumes appeared. Um, uh, it's sad that, that the audience gathered beneath the window of the translator to ask for more stories, because it was so popular. And the publisher pressured uh, Galland, the translator, to produce more and more uh, stories. And this is, in fact, the beginning of, uh, of a tradition of the Thousand and One Nights in Europe. Of course, it was known as a collection of Arabic uh, tales in the Arab world and in the Ottoman Empire. Uh, but this was the first uh, introduction of the work uh, in, in, in Europe. And... Uh, uh, it, it is um, some, it is, you might say, the foundation, this translation is the foundation of the European tradition. Uh, but it is a bit of a shaky tradition, uh, shaky foundation because, uh, because of the popularity of the work, uh, Galland uh, gathered all kinds of material to complete his Millie and Lee and to supplement the, the Arabic material that he had with uh, other material to keep on continuing with the translation. So his million we was in fact uh, not the equivalent of, of an Arabic or original, but rather a 
compilation of material from different uh, sources. And uh, part of the, the popularity and the influence of the Thousand and One Nights has to be ascribed to this uh, rather mystifying uh, beginning of the European tradition of the Thousand and One Nights. Because uh, on the one hand, uh, it, it was a work uh, without an author. It was a work which was so diverse that uh, uh, authors uh, uh, were amazed by the, the, the richness of the, of the collection on the one hand, but on the other hand also uh, by the collection being kind of anonymous uh, masterpiece with which they could do anything they liked. And this is what in fact happened. Uh, they um, used uh, the Thousand and One Nights uh, as a kind of reservoir of literary models and examples uh, to, to experiment uh, with their own work and, and to develop their own literary uh, uh, styles and forms. And uh, it is especially important that this happened in the, the 18th century because this was in fact a period in which uh, modern European literature was in a phase of, of development of, uh, um, how do you say, uh, being invented. Uh, there, there was a lot of... Um, experiment going on, uh, the, the genres of modern literature were not very uh, definitively shaped yet. Uh, so most authors were experimenting with all kinds of literary forms, trying to find what later would be uh, the, the genre of the novel, for instance, or the, the different forms of, of uh, short stories. And it is because of this uh, uh, nation state of, of, uh, of European literature that the, the models of Thousand and One Nights succeeded in penetrating the works of, of these uh, authors who were developing new forms of uh, literature. Of course, it is important to notice that this is only one aspect. Another aspect is that in the course of the 18th century, even before that in the 17th century, um, it was the period of, of Western expansion and, and certain political, economic interest in, in, uh, in the East, in the Orient, the Middle East, etc. So connections with the Middle East intensified in this period and a lot of knowledge was being collected by travelers, uh, by diplomats, uh, by uh, merchants, etc. So it is a period in which interest in, in uh, in other uh, civilization uh, was, was uh, uh, at its height. So this contributed to kind of um, interest in, in, in the Orient as, as a cultural and literary model as well. Mm -hmm. And you might say that um, in the 18th century, especially the Thousand and One Nights uh, came to be a kind of um, space uh, in which the 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 the, the uh, uh, images 
uh, of the Orient were constructed in the West. It became kind of a transitional zone for, for cultural exchange. And this is, I think, what is important about the Thousand One Nights in this period. Uh, it, it was a kind of literary work that, that um, came quite suddenly into the Western literary landscape. And it had to, to find its place. It had to be situated by authors within the Western literary landscape. And this is, in fact, a process that helped to, to uh, incorporate it in, into the, the uh, Western literary canon. And because authors, they were confronted with something that was completely new. And so they had to, to find kind of attitude towards it to, to know what, what, what is this kind of literature. And so they started using the material, uh, uh, trying to, to, to connect it to cultural models, to attitudes towards the East, uh, but also to uh, connect it to lit literary forms that were already existing in, in uh, the West. And so it's a very complex uh, process which is going on. But it's, uh, it's important to say that the, the influence uh, is often uh, ascribed to forms of exoticism and Orientalism. Uh, but it's, it is one of my main uh, arguments that, in fact, exoticism and Orientalism was a very important aspects of this, this process of cultural exchange related to the Thousand and One Nights. Uh, but I think the main uh, uh, influence of the Thousand and One Nights was not in the field of this exoticism, but rather in uh, narrative strategies, in, in narrative models, in narrative concepts. And because in the 18th century, especially these concepts and narrative models were being discussed and were being, um, how do you say, examined by, by authors. And so, uh, for instance, um, a very important debate about, about uh, literature in the 18th century was about uh, the relationship between fictional stories and reality and between fictional stories and supernatural phenomena. And of course, this is a very important aspect of the stories of the Thousand and One Nights. And so the stories could immediately be connected to, to debates eh, of this kind. And um, so we can see quite, quite uh, exciting and interesting uh, examples of, of authors using the Thousand and One Nights eh, as examples within to, to support their arguments uh, within these uh, debates. So you can see that, that it's not a question of Orientalism only. It's a question of very fundamental um, uh, attitudes towards uh, literature as a phenomenon, as, as an art. Uh, so this is, this is my main argument. And it also uh, implies uh, that the, the influence of the Thousand and One Nights is not superficial. It's not uh, using tropes or, or figures or landscapes or, or settings from the Thousand and One Nights only. And it's really uh, an, 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 an impact uh, that goes really into the uh, foundations of, of Western literature. 
It's, it's, it's within the arteries of, of modern Western literature because it entered uh, Western literature in a phase when this literature was being developed and was being invented. So uh, although there are different aspects, political, economic, uh, cultural, etc., had these uh, these aesthetic and, and literary aspects are, I think, uh, very fundamental. Um, and I think they, to a large extent, explain why The Thousand and One Nights uh, was so influential in the 18th century and remained influential in the 19th and 20th century, mm -hmm. uh, because time and again, people uh, referred to it in periods in which literature had to be reinvented and, and new literary forms had to be developed. And they could fall back on a literary model, literary example, which had also had already taken its place in uh, Western literature and had been incorporated into Western literature uh, as, a, as a very fundamental source of literary inspiration. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so I would like to uh, know more about flexibility and fluidity of the Thousand and One Nights. But before um, we continue with that question, uh, I would like to ask you how you developed your interest in the Thousand and One Nights. So what was your first encountering with this um, text? Um, well, my first uh, encounter with Thousand One Nights was when I was translating literature at the time when I was studying, still studying uh, Arabic uh, uh, at the time. Uh, and noticed there was no uh, Dutch translation directly from the Arabic of the nights. So I proposed to an author to, to, to publish, to, to mm -hmm. make a Dutch translation directly from the Arabic. And it was not so easy because, of course, it's an enormous uh, work and uh, it's very difficult for a publisher to, to undertake such a large uh, project. Uh, but then uh, I started uh, translating and uh, volume by volume uh, during the course of seven, seven years. And uh, during that time, I collected all kinds of materials about a thousand and one nights. And I started collecting uh, also literary works uh, referring to the thousand and one nights and uh, influenced by the thousand and one nights. And I also noticed that um, very little research had been done on this. There were some individual authors or individual literary works that had been studied. Uh, as far as their, their relationship to the Thousand and One Nights is concerned. Uh, but in fact, it, it was not at all adequate uh, because I started noticing while collecting this material that, that it, it was huge, it was enormous, and, and reference is to the Thousand and One Nights. So we're so omnipresent uh, that, uh, well, existing research was not, not uh, sufficient uh, at all. Um, so this is how it began, and of course, uh, um, read that one night, and afterwards your your life will never be the same again. And this is in fact what happened, because if you really uh, start to to enter this this universe of the thousand and one nights, it is in fact endless. And there's so the, the work itself had to suggest this 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 uh, idea of endlessness, because uh, you can continue. 
uh, telling the stories. Uh, and in fact, your whole life consists of, of telling stories and your life ends only after uh, the storytelling has ended. So it's, it's not only continuous, it's, it's infinite, in fact. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but not only um, this endlessness, but also the, the many different aspects, the work itself, the Arabic uh, versions that we have, the tradition of translations, which is very interesting into English, French, and German especially, the different the debates about how to translate a thousand and one nights, but also the, the political aspects and the cultural aspects, the whole mechanism of, of cultural exchange and the mechanisms of, of literary influence and, and literary transmission, uh, all these uh, all these, these different aspects uh, can be related to the Thousand and One Nights. So, in fact, uh, you enter a, a world which, which is so rich that you can, you can continue working on it as long as you like. So, this is, in fact, what I did uh, writing the, the Encyclopedia of the Thousand and One Nights, uh, for instance, and, and collecting all kinds of materials about the Thousand and One Nights. Um, and uh, well, and the problem is actually you cannot really escape because if you start working on the thousand and one nights, it will continue, and people will will ask you to 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 keep working on it. And so I never succeeded in escaping from from this work. Mm -hmm. And what was the most challenging uh, aspect of uh, the translation uh, of the thousand and one nights into into Dutch? Um, first of all, the, the most challenging aspect is the, the, the uh, sheer size of the work mm -hmm. because it's, it's so huge. It's, it's about uh, 3,500 pages uh, in, in, in modern print. Um, it's also very diverse. So you have to, to really uh, adapt to, to very different genres. It's not, not a kind of homogenous collection of, uh, of fairy tales at all. It, it contains all kinds of types of stories, from, from romances of love, romances of chivalry, um, uh, fairy tales, magical stories, love uh, stories, um, uh, fables, uh, Edifying stories, religious stories, travel stories, and there, are, there are all kinds of stories. Um, then it's it's uh, what is very difficult is the the poetry. There's a lot of poetry in the translation as well, and also you have to more or less um, how do you say uh, transform a text which looks like like rather. Um, flat text which serves as a basis for narration into into a text which is readable, which is entertaining as as reading material. So there are well several aspects which are which are really difficult. Um, and uh, well, the different translators have have find found uh, different uh, solutions for for uh, these problems. Of course, uh, I just recently spoke to, to someone who is translating uh, the Thousand and One Nights at the moment, and she has also problems with uh, 
how to deal with passages which which are really, in our modern view, uh, misogynist mm-hmm. or, or uh, uh, even racist. Of course, it's an ancient text which contains a lot of things that would not be appreciated as such uh, at the moment. So these are also problems which have to to to. Uh, which are concerned with the, the cultural aspects of uh, political aspects, uh, because um, translations of the Thousand and One Nights has have often been uh, reworkings of the text and adaptations of the text. Uh, in fact, uh, most of the, this is the in, one of the interesting aspects of the tradition of translations that the translations reflect the, the, the mentalities and the, the political, cultural attitudes of the time, which in the 19th century were basically uh, colonial and, and, and racist. Um, and so the different translators conveyed the, the cultural differences within the text in, in different ways. And and this is something that change, changes in the course of, of, of time. Um, and as for me, I tried to 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 to, have, to make a translation which was uh, more or less um, academic in the sense that that it would not add a lot of literary effects mm-hmm. that usually. Um, are characteristic for for these translations. Uh, the, the main English translations, for instance, have a lot of um, how do you say uh, adaptations to 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 uh, increase the, the 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 sense of Orientalism and exoticism, for instance. And this is what I didn't want want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, in a way, uh, my translation would also reflect a certain mentality of, of the period in which it appeared, uh, but which may be already old-fashioned uh, by now. Uh, I, I'm quite aware of that. And uh, what was your advice or recommendation regarding those passages which might sound uh, misogynist or uh, racist uh, for, for, for the contemporary reader? Are there any... Um, effective ways of delivering that information in a proper way, so to speak? Um, well, I don't really have recommendations. Um, of course, um, we are dealing with, with an, an, an ancient text, so, so you might argue that, that you should convey this, this text in, in an authentic way, in, in a way that is truthful to the original. And so there are a lot of arguments to say, well, just show the text as it is, and, mm-hmm. and we can we can study it, we can understand uh, uh, how, how 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 people thought in the period in which this text uh, emerged. Yeah? But on the other hand, you must also be aware that, especially with texts like the Thousand and One Nights, you are really uh, working for for modern audience uh, this, this uh, so these debates will happen uh, whatever you, you you decide so in fact uh, I was very glad that I would not have to deal with these problems now and and I cannot really uh, uh, give recommendations to the the uh, 
uh, modern uh, translator. She really has to, to, to solve them uh, herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not so easy, I think. Uh, you can add footnotes. There, of course, there are a lot of um, technical things that you can do. Yeah, the devices to 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 explain or to to uh, mediate between the text and the audience, and maybe the the publisher has a say in this as well. If the publisher says, "Well, I cannot publish it like this," then well, you can discuss how to 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 solve this and, and how to find ways to to present this this text. And so there are a lot of different possibilities, uh, I think, but it really depends on. On your approach to the text, how you, how you mm-hmm. want to 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 present a text to the the audience, what kind of image you would like the text to have for for a broad audience. So these are complex uh, discussions, uh, I think. Um, and I would like to go back to our uh, conversation about flexibility and fluidity of the Thousand and One Nights. And you mentioned that the text itself is uh, fluid and uh, flexible. However, uh, from what you are saying about the translations, the translations also uh, seem to be flexible and fluid, and they reflect all kinds of cultural moments which are typical of um, you know, this or um, uh, other um, country. So uh, my question, I guess... Well, and then, um, for example, my first introduction to the Thousand and One Nights was uh, particularly through the uh, film version, which was based on the Thousand and One Nights. Of course, it's a popularized version, which was produced um, uh, in the Soviet Union, and uh, the film itself was supposed to be uh, only for children. And I'm sure that my perception of the Thousand and One Nights will be different from um, other people's perception, uh, which was based probably on reading some other translated versions. My second uh, introduction to the um, story was uh, through a, a Russian translation. But again, uh, it was a very abridged version, and it was supposed to be for children again. For some reason, under the Soviet Union, The Thousand and One Nights was supposed to be some reading for uh, children, and it was on this uh, popularized, popular uh, level. So uh, I would um, uh, like to uh, know a little bit more about um, uh, those uh, translations, uh, which um, and probably um, uh, versions of translations that somehow uh, reflect or present the adaptability of the story to different literatures and cultures. Uh, what does this adaptability to different cultures, and I would even say to different regimes, can tell us about the story, except for the fact that it's kind of open uh, to interpretations and it's an endless story, which probably somehow replicates the flow of life. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, it reflects some political uh, environments or uh, economic circumstances uh, for the uh, um, for for the particular country. Um, well, it's, it's quite a complex question. Um, the strange thing with the Thousand and One Nights is that if you ask someone on the street who you know the Thousand and One Nights, everyone will say, uh, yes, of course. But you can be sure that nobody read the, the whole collection. That's so uh, what, what people actually read is, is, is very limited and usually limited to children's uh, adaptations, to anthologies, uh, um, 
Well, that that kind of of uh, abridgments of the of the, the the original text, and even more, uh, I think uh, that the the, the uh, influence of of imagery of the visual part of the Thousand and One Nights is probably much more influential than than the the, the written versions. So illustrations which appeared in the course of the 19th century have been very important, especially in, in children's uh, uh, adaptations, of course. But also The Thousand and One Nights was one of the first uh, stories to be um, used for, for experiments with film, with cinema, in, in the beginning of the, the 20th century. Of course, because of the, the splendor that could be uh, Filmed and 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 staged for for uh, in the film. Uh, so uh, this this visual part, I think, is very important for how the people perceive or think to what kind of uh, image of the thousand and one nights they have for themselves. Um, but of course, this also shows that the the. Uh, material of the Thousand and One Nights and the concept of the Thousand and One Nights is so fundamental and so strong as far as storytelling is concerned that you can really do anything with with this material. And you can use it in all kinds of ways. You can, you can translate it or try to translate it in an authentic way and you get a huge collection. But you can also... Uh, take out the material, deconstruct it, reconstruct it, use it in all kinds of different ways, uh, and make something new of it. And this is what what actually happened from the beginning of the the appearance of the Thousand Nights in in, in in Europe and in world literature. Actually, and people starting to to take the the work work and the stories apart and and make something new out of it. And this can be done not only within literature, but also in, in other media. It can also be done for, for film, for, for um, graphic novels, for comics, etc., for animation, for, uh, I don't know, pantomimes, for theater. Uh, you, you can't really think of any genre or, or art form which has not been uh, uh, touched uh, by by the Thousand and One Nights and, and the model of Thousand and One Nights, and of course, as I told before, it's it's on the one hand the diversity of the Thousand and One Nights, which makes it so interesting for for experiments. Also, the the, the fact that it has no author, it is it's, it's in fact um, how do you say a uh, kind of free zone for for anyone to to just take out what they like. Okay. And so uh, it doesn't have an author. If you if you work with uh, I don't know uh, Don Quixote, for instance, uh, then you have an author. You have a standardized version, etc. So you cannot do anything. It's it's difficult. Uh, but in the Thousand and One Nights, it's it's free for everyone to 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 plunder and to take from uh, as as they like. Uh, of course, I'm not saying that this is a very correct procedure, but it's, in, it's, it's consistent with the, the, the uh, concept of the work and the idea of Shahrazad telling stories, continuing telling stories and going from one subject to another, from one genre to another. And so it, it does justice to the concept of the Thousand and One Nights. And this, is, this is why uh, authors have, have never 
been reluctant to, to, to make use of this material and even to, to uh, identify with the, the, the figure of Shahrazad as someone who is, who is uh, uh, inventing, uh, fantasizing, um, uh, imagining, uh, reimagining uh, the world in a, in a continuous way. Uh, to, to stay alive. And this is a very attractive trope, of course, for authors who are also dependent on the interest of the audience uh, to, to keep on writing, to keep on publishing, and to stay alive as, as, a, as a writer. And so this is, uh, this is I think, the, the basic concept about storytelling so fundamental and it's, it so much represents the essence of narration of, of storytelling as as an uh, activity uh, in life uh, that that it it is resistant to all kinds of uh, deformations by by genre or or, or medium for which it is it, it is it is used so even apart from the diversity and the richness of the material itself it's the concept how storytelling is is perceived hey, within the framing story in the figure of, of Shahrazad, who is defying death, who is defying the the, the uh, tyranny of, of King Shahriyar, hey, which is so uh, basic hey, that that it 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 is you can actually not escape hey, this this essence of storytelling if you are telling stories yourself. So you can always turn back to it and and uh, be inspired by this this example of how storytelling works. And I think it's this combination, the the richness of the work and the the, the strength of the, the the way in which the the, the act of storytelling is is uh, explained, uh, which is which makes it so um, persistent, so so. Uh, interesting for for uh, authors of, of any age in the 18th century 19th century until now until the present day uh, in your book you include a diversity of literatures and instances of variations which include some references to the uh, thousand and one nights um, would you tell us a little bit about how you approached this diversity and how you organized those variations which appear in the book? What was the decisive factor when you were making a choice of how to present them? Um, just a few minutes ago, we had this conversation about some Slavic references, probably some Ukrainian or Ru uh, Russian literature. And there is one um, um, episode uh, in your book, uh, which is presented by Nabokov's writing, but uh, it's quite different from just being Slavic. Uh, when we talk about um, Nabokov's um, uh, works. Uh, so how did you approach this diversity? Uh, of course, this was one of the great difficulties uh, uh, of how to organize the work and, and uh, the, the actual book in the end. Uh, fortunately, there are some limitations uh, which are unfortunate as well uh, because I don't know all languages of the world, so I cannot really explore uh, Russian literature, for instance, uh, in a very thorough way. So I depend on translations. This means, of course, that that a lot of uh, material 
material is excluded. Which, uh, I have no access to this kind of material. It means that uh, I have only access to, to the main authors uh, or authors that are considered to be the main authors of specific literatures, uh, sufficiently uh, well-known or, or, or uh, appreciated to be translated into to one of the, the main European languages. And so I had, I had limited access to, to what is, in fact, world literature. And, and in a way, this, this, this saved me because uh, it's, it's impossible to, to, of course, to, to explore all these uh, literatures. Um, and then the uh, second criterion is to, to uh, turn to authors uh, uh, who are in their work or in interviews uh, explicitly referring to the Thousand and One Nights. So uh, I think almost all authors I, I discuss in the book uh, explicitly acknowledge their indebtedness to the Thousand and One Nights. Um, and either in the, the, the novels themselves or in their comments or essays or, or interviews, uh, etc. So this is the second uh, criterion. Then, of course, the, the authors uh, should, uh, should be sufficiently interesting at uh, the works. And, well, this was not very difficult because it's really, most of them are, are winners of, of Nobel Prizes and... Uh, are really uh, authors who, who, who shaped the, the, the landscape of literature, world literature in the 20th century. So uh, there's, there is, even, even within these limitations, uh, there is an enormous amount of, of uh, material. Um, I still have a, a much bigger amount of material uh, written by the lesser known authors and, and uh, well, works, for instance, if, if work only uses the, the, the framing structure like the Thousand and One Nights as the only reference to the, the Thousand and One Nights, of course, this, this is not, this is an important influence, a formal influence, but on the other hand, often it's not easy to really uh, analyze uh, work like that in, in, in uh, some depth. So, um, on the one hand, I have I have uh, boxes full of still full of novels, and, uh, short stories, etc., referring uh, to the th to the nights, influenced by the nights, which show the 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 uh, breadth of of the, the the influence of the thousand and one nights, huh? because. Of course, the the influence on on very famous authors like Joyce or Proust or uh, Nabokov or uh, Borges or Rushdie, these these are this is important because they they are the the authors who shaped uh, specific trends and currents within 20th century literature. Uh, but on the other hand, you have a layer of authors who. Uh, well, maybe have been read by, by the audience much more than these very important authors. So it's not only these specific, very famous authors who are, have been influenced, but also a lot of, uh, well, authors that are maybe, uh, in a qualitative sense, uh, less, less interesting. But 
Um, I'm, I'm aware, of course, that this approach to to the, well to the material and the selection that you make is a kind of uh, distortion of the field. You cannot, I cannot give a very truthful picture of how uh, Thousand and One Nights influenced. For instance, Croatian literature or, or uh, Greek literature or uh, Cambodian literature. Uh, this is this is actually practically uh, impossible. And so the book is not a kind of overview of, of uh, how Thousand One Nights influenced lit- world literature as a whole. It is rather uh, focusing on specific important works and important authors uh, who have. Uh, shaped uh, the developments of, of uh, uh, world literature in the 20th uh, century. Uh, but this distortion is also part of what world literature is about. And world literature is not everything that's, that has been written. It's rather what, what comes to the fore uh, within certain periods, uh, within certain contexts of literatures uh, around the world. So it reflects, in fact, the limitations and the problems uh, related to the, the concept of world literature. Well, um, a few minutes ago, you mentioned that um, some ample references to the uh, Thousand and One Nights, a characteristic of the 19th uh, century. Uh, and then there are um, other references in the 20th century and probably in 21st century. Uh, and uh, I'm uh, wondering uh, if uh, um, the uh, uh, Thousand and One Night uh, Nights uh, change and modify uh, over the time. Are there any characteristic features of how the story is understood, probably and remembered, transmitted, depending on the time uh, period? Uh, does this kind of reference to the Thousand and One Nights change depending on how? a particular country develops, for example, or a particular literature develops. You mentioned that sometimes um, these references to the Thousand and One Nights can signal some um, desire or inspiration to modify the uh, some national literatures or to find some inspiration or to find some rediscoveries, literary rediscoveries. But does this kind of approach change depending on that time period when that reference to the text is made? And how the uh, Thousand and One Nights uh, is remembered, for example, in different literatures, depending on the time period. Um, yeah, again, very interesting but difficult question because it, you have to, to cover uh, uh, almost uh, 300 years, or actually, in fact, 300 years. So... Um, I think, uh, apart from from the, the the artistic, the aesthetic, and the formal influence of the Thousand and One Nights, uh, which I argue is actually the most structural, systematic influence uh, of of the Thousand and One Nights on on uh, literature, on Western literature in the first place, and world literature in the second place. And this is, in fact, the, the, the basic layer of, of influence. But you can see different um, superficial layers, which, for instance, um, 
show tendencies of, of exoticism or orientalism, which are highlighted in some periods more than in others. In, um, for instance, in the, in the 18th century, um, the stories were, were used uh, for, for their exotic settings, um, especially uh, for uh, didactic purposes. Of course, this was the period of the Enlightenment. So the examples of, of especially moral tales in, in the Thousand and One Nights were used to, to discuss philosophical, ethical problems which were um, current in, 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 in Western societies. And so the, the material was used for a specific uh, purpose. And there's a, a nice example of uh, 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 Christoph Martin Wieland, the important German author from the Enlightenment period, who opposed fairy tales as, as a kind of, well, uh, supernatural stories which, which deceived the audience and which, which went against the rational worldview of, of the Enlightenment. But on the other hand, he used A Thousand and One Nights as examples of uh, fairy tales that were in fact uh, didactically sound, which, which were not uh, using supernatural phenomena to deceive the people, to mislead the people, but actually to convey a moral message which was uh, in harmony with the, 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 the uh, purposes of the Enlightenment, of the rational worldview of the Enlightenment. Um, so, and uh, in, in a, in a uh, somewhat later phase, you can, you can see that uh, the, the material of the Thousand and One Nights is used in, in romantic literature, um, also as kind of other worlds, you know, the, the different worlds, distant settings with different uh, uh, mentalities, uh, different phenomena, etc. Uh, but Strangely, paradoxically, perhaps, in, especially in the 19th century, the Thousand and One Nights, and for some authors also in the 18th century, the Thousand and One Nights was famous for its realism, mm -hmm. because a lot of stories are set in daily life. It's about a fisherman who wakes up and goes out to, to, to his work, to the lake, to, to catch fish, etc. So it's about common people, about uh, normal life. And so... And the combination of, of depicting the lives of normal people, common people, and put this into a kind of plot structure. And this was very attractive for, for authors, as an example, in, in the, the uh, 19th century, but also in the, the 20th century, uh, like uh, authors like uh, Charles Dickens and uh, in, in France, uh, Balzac, uh, and there, there are several uh, examples. Um, and then uh, in, in the beginning of the 20th century, of the, the end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th century, um, the, the formal aspects became more important. The, the um, uh, way in which uh, the text was uh, fragmented, for instance, by the, the interruptions each night, uh, the way in which the uh, interaction between the framing story and the stories themselves uh, took place. Uh, 
And these were seen by, by modernist authors as a way to, to disrupt the, 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 the um, uh, continuum of the, of the, the text and, and the, the um, how do you say, the, the uh, coherence of, of a text uh, which they deemed was not uh, reflecting the, the fragmentation of reality which they perceived in this period. So in, in the period of modernism, it was precisely this, this fragmentation which was highlighted, which was used, and the, the um, uh, how do you say, the, 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 the uh, difficult, the complex uh, relationship between a text and reality uh, was highlighted. And this was used as a kind of uh, uh, example of how to problematize the relationship between text and reality in a different way than, than Wieland did uh, some time before, because now it was a focus on the text themselves. But what is what is a text actually? And what is a relationship between a text and, and a representation of reality? And so this is how... For instance, James Joyce uh, used the Thousand and One Nights as, as a way to break up this, this uh, uh, well, the, 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 the until then evident relationship uh, uh, between a text and reality as, as a text depicting reality. So a text became more autonomous, and this can also be found in the Thousand and One Nights. So you can see that, that uh, here again, uh, there was a period of experiments of, of trying to find new literary forms, new literary strategies, people, people authors falling back on the Thousand and One Nights to reinvent uh, literature. And then, of course, in postmodernism, uh, again, had this, this um, instability of the text and the, the intermingling of, of different components of text uh, which, which relate to each other, influence each other. Uh, 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 this idea of metafiction, uh, uh, the different layers uh, of, of the text interacting, uh, this, this was very explicitly used, uh, referred to as, as uh, taken from the Thousand and One Nights uh, to, to, to com problematize the, 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 the perception of a text and the perception of the nature of the text. And then, of course, very importantly, the, uh, as, as part of postmodernism, perhaps, uh, the whole uh, trend of uh, magical realism, which, again, fell back on, on the, the examples of how supernatural phenomena in A Thousand and One Nights uh, are related to uh, reality and, and uh, our re- Figured had to 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 be related to to a, a political uh, uh, here and now. Okay? So it was it was used to to um, uh, uh, enrich and realism and and modernist forms of realism with a new perception of the supernatural and and of. Um, uh, mythology, for instance, uh, how they could be connected uh, to um, the political aspects of literature. So you can see that uh, in the different periods, um, the focus of how 
to use the materials of Thousand and One Nights and how to use the concept of the Thousand and One Nights was, was reshaped and used in different ways. Um, and um, what was the most recent discovery for you in terms of the influences of the Thousand and One Nights? You mentioned that you still have boxes of uh, materials <laughs> that can, can be uh, incorporated in a different in a, in, a, in a new book. Yeah, well, the most recent uh, discoveries are Peter Hanske mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Olga Togatchuk. The, the, so these are both uh, Nobel Prize winners. Who, uh, well, my book ends at uh, 2000, so, so I cannot really, uh, they're, of course, uh, after this, this period. But you can see that it's still continuing. And I, I have a lot of uh, uh, examples of, of how to, of, of uh, authors still referring to the Knights, important and less important. Uh, but these, again, are, are authors who have won the Nobel Prize and uh, Handke is especially interesting in the sense that I think his, his work is, is uh, structurally connected to the Thousand and One Nights. Mm -hmm. uh, but also uh, Olga Togatuk is, is uh, referring to the Nights uh, and I'm still uh, reading works by her to discover whether it's an incidental uh, reference or if it's, it's more Uh, systematic uh, this influence, but it's still going on. I mean, it's uh, uh, it, it remains relevant either as an example of uh, Orientalism. I, I even discovered uh, what's her name. Uh, she is uh, a Caucasian uh, uh, writer, Alice, Alicia Marina Alice. Oh well, I forgot her name. Uh, the Mountain and the Wall, I think, is her, is her novel. It's translated into English. And she, she also refers in one of her novels to The Thousand and One Nights. Um, I just found uh, the writer Ukresic. She's um, Croatian, I think, and she systematically refers to The Thousand and One Nights, very political uh, literature. And so here again we find different uh, approaches, different ways in which the, the material uh, is, is used. But in, in, the, in her um, work, it's also to destabilize the, the traditional forms of, of storytelling uh, uh, to, to, uh, to, to deconstruct um, uh, ideological and, and, and political discourses. And, and, Of course, Shahrazad is used for that because this is actually in the framing story what she does uh, with uh, the, the, the totalitarian uh, discourse of uh, King Shahriyar. So, so this can be uh, an example of how to use literary narrative techniques to uh, deconstruct uh, political uh, uh, ideological uh, discourses. Yeah. And so this, this still happens. I mean, this, this is still going on and it's, it's still relevant. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. um, well, again, uh, referring to that uh, comment about boxes of new material, um, are you working on uh, uh, some continuation of this impressive volume, which is more than 800 uh, pages? Um, of course, I have still so, so much material that I, I 
feel actually morally obliged to to continue uh, this this research. But uh, and of course, I have written about the 18th century, and I've written about the uh, 20th century now. So it's I think obligatory that I should work on the 19th century. Um, but I'm working on a different project now. But I'm still collecting work and I have a, a huge collection so I'm still thinking about how to uh, continue and and complete uh, this this research but it's 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 so much work I mean it's uh, it's it's a joy of course because the the nice thing is that working on this this project for about 15 20 years uh, I've been able to read so much beautiful uh, literature and and I, I encountered so many new authors that I didn't know before and uh, so it has been a kind of guide through world literature for me uh, to, to discover it really has been a journey of exploration and this is still going on. Uh, so hopefully in the future I will have the opportunity and the, the energy to, to do something with the material that I still have. So this is uh, a way to to present it uh, in an analytical form. And I would, I think, I will not um, uh, repeat this in in this this way. But I will try to find another form because this actually is really difficult. Because uh, you ask about how to organize the diversity in the project itself but also in the book this has been really difficult because you cannot such a diverse collection of material you cannot have a kind of singular coherent approach to discuss all this material so in fact you have to find a way to 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 uh, yeah to 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 compose a kind of, of mosaical way to, to, to present uh, the, the analysis and this is what I've tried to do. Uh, well, uh, thank you so much, Richard, for this wonderful conversation. Uh, and thank you so much for your impressive book. Uh, it's really, um, uh, I don't know, for me, it's a real inspiration uh, for research and for creative work as well. Uh, it's such an important uh, contribution to the field. Uh, and I wish you good luck on your um, uh, current projects and on your future projects as well and uh, thank you again uh, for your research thank you very much um, today i spoke with richard van lewen uh, author of the thousand and one nights and 20th century fiction published by brill in uh, 2018 thank you for listening to new books in literary studies a podcast channel on the new books network <laughs>